Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellen Becker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for business ethics and integrity. The Ellen Becker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor for the Ellen Becker Investment Group. Ellen Becker Investment Group is located in Pewaukee, just east of Highway 164 and Capitol Drive in the Town Bank Building, and also in the Village of Whitefish Bay in the Equitable Bank Building across from Winkies. We also service clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Visit ellenbecker.com for more details. My guest today is Diane Gastrow, Director of Insurance Planning at Ellen Becker Investment Group. And today we're talking about how a disability or an injury can impact your financial outlook and how to protect against that impact. Thanks so much for joining us today, Diane. Heather, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's start by sharing a bit about your background and about the work that you do at Ellen Becker. So I have been a salaried employee here at the firm for just over six years, and I work with all of our clients and potential clients to evaluate risk that might affect their portfolio and their financial plan as it pertains to life insurance, long-term care insurance, and disability income insurance. And I really look at this DI conversation, disability income conversation, that we're having as a real critical foundational piece of the financial planning that you and your other advisors provide our clients. I agree, Diane. It is something that not necessarily that it's overlooked, but I think it might be like underlooked, right? You know, we worry about what happens if I die, what, who's going to take care of my family? Well, this is the piece of what happens if I can't bring home my normal paycheck. That's it. Exactly. We are so conditioned to buy auto insurance and homeowners insurance. And more and more clients are thinking about life insurance, which is wonderful. But just think about everything your income does as part of your lifestyle and your financial plan. So it's so critical, especially for our younger clients, that we're having this discussion about how would you pay your mortgage, your cell phone bill, your car payment, and continue funding your retirement if you could no longer work because of an illness or an injury. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of dive in, Diane. How about you tell us about, you know, the, the genesis of disability income insurance, maybe even some of the different types of, of the insurance. So when we're talking with our clients, our financial advisors are looking and saying, okay, here's how your plan is putting together. This is what you're looking to put in force and how you're planning to save for your future and for your retirement. If someone is Ill, Ill or injured and can no longer work, that's where disability income insurance comes into play. Many employers offer some disability income insurance as part of their benefits package, but a lot of us have no idea what our employer-sponsored plans offer. So that's where we sort of start the conversation. And then in conjunction with the advisors, we look at, okay, what's your budget? What do you have to have coming in the door each month to just keep the roof over your head? Mm -hmm. So we look at both short-term disability income insurance, which is temporary. It's usually going to be 90 to 180 days. And then we also look at what happens if your injury or illness prohibits you from working longer than that. And that becomes long-term disability insurance. So 
So when we think about typical work provided benefits, because I think that is a great place to start. Um, like you mentioned, short-term disability, 90 to 180 days. So I'm injured or I'm ill, I'm recovering from, you know, something. What do I do for 90 days? <laughs> so what's going to happen is there's going to be an elimination period, and it could be anything from one to seven days once you are deemed unable to work. Then your employer, if they have sponsored this plan, this plan is going to give you income. A portion of your salary, real typical, is going to be maybe 60% or 66% of your weekly salary. So each week that you're unable to work, that benefit is paid out. But for higher income earners, there's a cap. So very often it's a $1,000 a week cap, let's say. So if you're normally making 5,000 a week and you're thinking you're going to get 60% of that, which would be 3,000, no, the cap is 1,000. So you're only gonna get 1,000. And if your employer pays the premium on that policy, you're gonna pay income taxes too. So that's where we work in partnership between my insurance team and your planning team to say, okay, where's that gap? If mm -hmm. now we only have 600 a week coming in because of taxes, yeah. what, you know, what's gonna be missing to meet the bills? And then you take the expand beyond either the 90 days or the 180 days, and then you switch into long-term disability. Typically it's gonna be based on a monthly salary, but again, very often, a cap of 6,000 a month, or maybe even 10,000 a month if you have a real rich, generous plan. And how long does that stay in place? Again, it depends on the employer, but many of them stay in force until you're age 65 or your normal retirement age. I occasionally see a policy that offers benefits for maybe two years or five years. Okay. The employer-sponsored plans are you know, pretty extensive. Um, the cost of them is relatively minor compared to individually owned disability plans. And the reason is because so many people are covered and relatively few people actually have a claim, but when they do, it has a significant impact for them. Gotcha. I think that that's a good um, uh, differentiator there when we think about that. So is this, if I am injured or, or come down with an illness, is it dependent on what I can do? What if I can't do the job I was hired for, but I could you know, likely do some other job? Most plans that we're working with are based upon your ability to do the job that you are doing at the time of the injury or the illness. So if you're okay. unable to, let's say you have a concussion and you can no longer look at a computer screen. So all your work is customer service and you're on the computer and on the phone, that person would um, get benefits based upon their ability to look at a computer screen, even though they might be able to do other things, mm -hmm. they just can't do their occupation. Okay, okay. Well, thanks for that, um, for kind of that walkthrough. So like you had already started to mention the gap, there's a gap obviously in when we put that cap on what the insurance benefit can pay out from the work provided plan. You know, what are some other gaps or even that piece? How do we approach that? Heather, what I would say is if you think about, let's say you're 30 years old and you're earning $75,000 a year, your potential earnings between now and age 65 is over $5 million. So think mm. about everything that you would spend that $5 million on 
over your 35-year earnings period and the savings that you're going to be doing. So first things, typically the savings are going to go away because there's no extra. You're just trying to pay the bills. So we look at what does the, the disability income policy from your employer cover for how long? And we look at your minimum budget. You know, if you really tightened everything and you didn't have the extra dinners out, or maybe you didn't buy a new car for a while, what would be the minimum amount that you need to stay afloat? And that's where we identify the gap in the coverage that you have and try to build on a supplemental policy, whether it's through your employer or as a standalone individual policy. Okay, tell, tell, tell us more about building on that coverage. How, how, so what do we look for? Typically, again, we're going to look at what do you do for a living? I need to know, first of all, your name, date of birth, your sex, mm -hmm. you know, male, female, things like that so that we can target the right underwriting. But then we look at what do you do for a living? If you are working as a chiropractor, you have much more physical you know, nature to the work that you're doing versus that customer service rep I was telling you about that was on the computer and the phone. So we look at the activities of what you do for a living and how much you earn. The insurance companies are willing to offer for a lower income individual, a pretty significant replacement of that, of that income. But as you get to be a higher and higher income earner, you're gonna have less and less of that high-end income protected. Does okay. that make sense, Heather? It does, it does. And I'm thinking about, you know, what we really wanna look at is like you're saying, the need. You know, the other piece of it too, is that if I have employer coverage, that might be a really rich policy. And then I, I change employers, right? I, I get the new employer coverage. Potentially, if they offer coverage, coverage right? yeah, if they right. offer coverage, you may not have anything if all you have is your employer plan and then you change occupations. A couple things about the supplemental individually owned plans to be aware of is, first of all, they're yours, they're portable. And they're going to cover your loss of income for the activities of the job you're in at the time. So let's say you bought the policy and you were a IT professional. And 15 years later, you are burned out and don't want to be in IT any longer. And you really love landscaping. Very, very different jobs, but you still get the benefits of being underwritten as an IT professional on your personal policy. You get to take it with you. And the benefits go with you, regardless of what you're doing at the time of injury, you would get to make the claim based on that job and what you're doing. So if you get a policy that covers a certain dollar amount, and then maybe down the road, that dollar amount is either that, that you would need in case of an injury is either higher or lower, you still get that original piece that you put in place. That's it exactly. And most of the individually owned plans will give you the option every couple of years to buy up coverage without going through underwriting as your income increases. The companies recognize that when you're 30 years old, your income is probably going to be much less than your income at age 40 or 50. So mm -hmm. they give you the opportunity to buy more to meet that gap. Because let's be real, most of us increase our standard of living as we increase our income. We don't mm -hmm. just save all the extra. <laughs> Even though that's a whole different component of the financial plan. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. But you know, the reality is we all have those dream things we'd want to be able to buy if we made more money. 
And so the insurance companies recognize that and they try to keep us with income to support our lifestyle at that time. And our families too, as things change along the way. Absolutely, absolutely. So with that, Diane, let's take a short break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. And my guest today is Diane Gastrow, Director of Insurance Planning, also at Ellen Becker Investment Group. Diane, let's talk a bit more about some of the, some of those, the risks involved with having an illness or an injury that prevents you from being able to work. From, from the financial planning side, you know, we work with our clients and, and talk to them about an emergency savings. So that's like, say, three to six months of, of spending or even six to 12 months of spending if something happens to your job. But the other side of it is if something happens to your ability to work. Yes, Heather, I would say that, you know, statistically, 62% of Americans do not have any emergency savings. So I know that's one of the things you and your colleagues touch upon right away is how do we get that emergency just in case fallback? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're aware that disabilities are one of the leading causes of bankruptcies in our country. One in four 20-year-olds will suffer a disability during their working years. People don't think about, you know, what could a disability look like or feel like. It's not always, you know, going skiing and breaking your back. Mm-hmm. Approximately 23% of disability claims are musculoskeletal and connective tissues, so that's a large portion. But 18% are mental and nervous disorders. You know, mental health has really become a significant problem in our country, and people are missing a lot of work for that. If you can't work because of that musculoskeletal or that mental nerves, or maybe it's a cancer or um, an injury, how do you keep the bills being paid? You think about what do you do with your income every single month? You pay your mortgage, you pay your electric and your heat. What about the other savings that they're doing with you, Heather? Their college savings, their retirement savings, building up that retirement fund. What about their student loans or their cars? There's so many things that rely on our income that if we don't have the ability to earn it, there's a major gap. And again, like I said, that crisis that could lead to bankruptcy. Well, and I think also, you know, without being able to work and not having the funds coming in, that just adds a whole extra layer of stress and worry in, in, in that crisis. So being able to have a layer of protection, you know, that kind of looks at, you know, what's that, what's the right layer of protection to put in place? And we typically, if someone has an employer-sponsored plan, we try to add the amount of gap that they have between that employer benefit. And one thing I didn't mention earlier, Heather, is that if you are qualifying for social security disability, Typically, there's a dollar-for-dollar offset against your employer disability plan, so you don't get both. So so tell me about that so so we can all understand that. So you have a disability, and certain disabilities, you become eligible for Social Security disability. Correct. Yes. And typically, the Social Security disability income is going to be the most difficult for you to qualify to get benefits. 
So there are some times that you're going to get your employer-sponsored plan and not qualify for the Social Security benefits. But if you do qualify for the Social Security DI benefits, every dollar you receive from Social Security is offsetting something that you would have received from your employer. Okay. So you don't double dip. And the same is true if, um, you know, if you have a workers' compensation claim. You don't get to have your Social Security disability income, your workers' compensation, and your employer-sponsored disability income. You don't get all of them. Does that double dip exclusion, does that apply also to the independently owned No, plan? that's one of the reasons that we like to have the individual plan layered on top. And again, like we talked about, most employer-sponsored plans are going to give you benefits until your normal retirement age. So for affordability purposes, very often I layer on an additional amount of coverage that's going to help them meet their bills, their minimum bills. So maybe we layer on top another $1,000 of benefits. The premiums that you pay for those policies are being paid with after-tax dollars. So that $1,000 benefit would come to you income tax-free. You, you pay get tax on the full amount. Yes, you get the full amount. And then for affordability purposes, no one ever thinks I'm going to be the one that gets disabled. So for affordability purposes, I very often will have the policy have a five-year benefit period versus having to age 65. It really depends on who's responsible, whose livelihood is being protected by that income. Mm -hmm. If I'm the primary breadwinner and I have a spouse who's at home with three or four children, the impact of my lost income is going to affect a lot of people for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about five years being a, a kind of a target, and like you said, I appreciate that, like that affordability piece for the premium side, but five years is a, is a decent amount of time to be able to like figure out the changes in the overall financial plan that are needed in order to have your family and, and be able to move forward. That is so true, Heather. We try to build in that in what we call the risk management aspect, affordability, but meaningful protection. Other things people don't think about is if they're working and they're on their employer-sponsored health insurance. If you become severely disabled and unable to work for a significant period of time, very often positions are eliminated. So mm. you don't lose your employer-sponsored disability benefits, but you could lose your job. And in losing your job, you lose your health insurance benefits. So that becomes another cost on top of what you've already you know, been hit with to try to stretch those dollars. But that five-year window gives a lot of time to sort of regroup and reformulate what your life is going to be like. It can, sounds like things can snowball. That's it, exactly. On, depending on the situation, yeah. And that's why we try to educate our, client, our, our clients on what, what could be at risk in their portfolio and looking at that income. Everything that we're doing for our clients is based on that income earning potential. Mm -hmm. And so we really try to look at that, especially for our younger clients, as the foundational piece for building their future. Are there other kind of components, uh, high level components to a disability income insurance policy that when you put together a, uh, that part of the plan that you 
want clients to understand and, and kind of look for if somebody listening was wanting to know a bit more about this? Well, I would say, first of all, that females pay more for disability income insurance than males do. It's just the opposite for life insurance, but women are more likely to have a disability income claim. So it costs more for women. If you can get three people from the same employer to apply and accept coverage at the same time. So let's say you and I and one of our other colleagues all say, do you know what? We all want some supplemental GI. So we get three of us to apply at the same time. We can get a multi-life discount, even though they're individual plans. And we also get unisex rates. So if there's three of us women applying, we can all get unisex rates, which are less expensive than female rates. So we can come out ahead, even if one of us buys a very rich plan, meaning benefits to age 65 and the maximum we would qualify for. And one of us could potentially buy just, you know, $1,000 a month for two years. It's really going to be dependent upon our income and what we do for a daily living. So like I said previously, that chiropractor has a much more physical job than maybe the IT professional or even a financial planner. Typically the most physical part of our job here anyways is getting up the stairs when we get here in the morning. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, and I would say too, you know, there's things when you go through underwriting that can get written out based on what the carrier thinks is maybe just a a bit more of a risk than they want to cover. That's a good point, Heather. Uh, I had mentioned earlier about the degree, the value or the volume of claims that are based on mental and nervous conditions. If someone has a history of mental nervous concerns, they can rider that out. So if you become disabled by an accident or you become disabled because you've thrown your back out, you can get benefits. But if you have a mental nervous claim, those benefits would be denied. The same thing could be with your back or your knees, anything. um, You know, I've had some clients that have had rotator cuff issues. So their shoulders are excluded from benefits, but it allows the clients to get meaningful protection just in case they do have that accident or they're out ice skating and they fall on the ice and hit their head with a concussion. Mm -hmm. You know, so many things you don't think about that could lead to a disability. I have shared this on the show before. My younger sister, when she was in her early 30s, was diagnosed with MS. And it was such a significant, severe disability that she has been disabled for the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. Unable to hold down a job because it's just too physically and mentally exhausting for her. So thank heavens she had disability income insurance to help her continue to pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. Real life examples, you know, that it's, they can touch touch us often, (laughs) this kind of thing. Yeah, and who would have dreamed that in just, you know, the blink of an eye almost, her life would have changed. There was really no warning. It just happened, and that can happen to any of us, whether it's an accident or an unexpected illness. If we can no Mm -hmm. longer work, how do we keep the roof over our heads? Yeah. Well, Diane, this has been really a great conversation. you know, if, if anyone wants to know more, what's a great way for them to get in touch with you? Well, I am here in the Pewaukee office 99% of the time. Eventually, I hope to get down to the Bonita Springs, but um, everyone's <laughs> my Whitefish Bay. But you can certainly call the office here at our regular contact number and ask for me, Diane Gastrow, or you can talk to your advisor. And we are always going to start with what do you have? And then we're going to look at what do you need? And how can we help you get that in a cost-effective and meaningful way? 
And if all we do is help you better understand what you have, then I've done my job and I've earned that salary, um, you know, that I get paid here for helping our clients. Yeah. And you do such a wonderful job with our clients, Diane. Thank you. Again, I really appreciate the time today. After we come back from the break, we'll bring on Nate Hornig from Team Rehab Physical Therapy. And he's going to talk about some of the injuries that he's seeing, the importance of physical therapy and how you can use that as a tool and a resource to get back to work um, if you have an injury or a disability. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor at Ellen Becker Investment Group. And my guest joining us on the show is Nate Hornig, owner and clinic director of Team Rehab Wauwatosa. That's a physical therapy clinic that in full disclosure, I have had uh, used them for two different injuries in the last couple of years. I had a hip issue and I earlier this winter, I flipped and broke my wrist on the ice. And so, Nate, I'm just thrilled to have this conversation with you, and I really appreciate you joining. Oh, you bet. Thanks, Heather. It's been, it'll be a pleasure. I'm looking forward to talking. Yeah. So, I guess let's kind of dive in. If you want to talk about what is physical therapy, you know, there's a lot of words that we hear about when it comes to PT and, you know, the ways to look at it, how it can help you, maybe even some of the things you see that are just misconceptions to clear up. Yeah, you bet. Um, I've been a PT for about 11 years now. And PT has evolved a lot in the past 11 years, pretty much all for the good. One of the things that kind of drives me and gets me going is, you know, I've talked to a lot of physicians in the past who have said things like, well, I don't, I don't believe in PT or, you know, I don't really think PT works. And I think a lot of those misconceptions come with a lot of what PT used to be. And PT used to be a, a highly passive, um, thing that you would do, right. You would come in, you would do e-stim ultrasound, diathermy for those old PTs out there, uh, things that just basically were, you sat there and had it done to you. And the biggest thing we've realized over the past probably 10, 15 years is that movement is medicine. So now with PT, people come in where it's movement screening, manual therapy, dry needling, instrument assisted soft tissue. We're doing high speed video analysis of movements. We are looking at, you know, how you move and how that movement impacts your injury your future, all the stuff that plays into your total being. So PT is, it's a great, it's a great environment to be in right now. Um, we build strength, we build mobility, all that kind of stuff. So I always kind of counteract the, the conversation of, well, I don't believe in PT to saying, well, PT now is just, it, you can move better, feel better, be healthier, be more flexible. And I'm hard pressed to find somebody who doesn't believe in that. Oh yeah, for sure. And like I said, you know, having come through a couple of different, you know, pretty, um, pretty significant injuries that each included surgery, unfortunately, too, you know, without having that kind of structure, and even the education about what movement makes the most sense to recover from, say, my specific injuries, I, I would, I would have, I would not be in the place that I am with those injuries today. Right, right. And I mean, you're, you're an athlete, Heather, you know, and we're all athletes, right? Yeah. I had, I had knee surgery back in October of last year. That was kind of more of a wear and tear injury that hit me when I turned the big four Oh. So, <laughs> and as we all get older, we realize how important 
being able to move well and be flexible and have a movement practice, have a strength practice, have a yoga practice, whatever it might be, all of that just helps your body uh, recover better day in and day out. And moving forward too. And moving forward, know? exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. To, to kind of not slip into re-injury, you know, I know something that we wanted to touch on too was, um, you know, what are some of the typical injuries kind of to tie it back to like the disability income insurance conversation we just had with Diane. What are some typical injuries that you've been seeing that prevent people from going back to work? Yeah, I want to take one step back real quick. Um, actually, the, the number one cause of injury is previous injury. And so uh, when we look at that, we think of, you know, think as a kid, you, you're running, you sprain your ankle or you break your ankle, right? The main objective that we've been looking at for how well somebody does has been pain for so long, right? Once you're out of pain, we kind of assume that, well, that injury is a thing of the past. However, a lot of times that injury along with that comes loss of movement, loss of strength, a change in how you walk, how you run, how you sit, how you whatever. And those changes in movement patterns now lead to a change in wear patterns throughout your body. And that can be something that happens over time, or it can be something that happens more acutely. We see a lot of high school kids, they sprain their ankle they don't get their movement back. And then three months later, they tear, they tear that same side ACL. So when we talk about injuries, we always talk about what were your previous injuries and how do those injuries impact how you move now in the future? Some of the big injuries we see, we see a lot of athletes. So ACLs, rotator cuffs, um, generalized back pain, sprains, strains from weekend warriors, from high school athletes, college athletes, when we look at, you know, kind of injuries that are, that are more life altering, they definitely are the traumatic injuries. You know, you, you break a bone, um, you have pins put in your femur, you break your wrist, uh, you tear your ACL, you tear your Achilles, you know, and a lot of those, you know, you can be in rehab for anywhere from four months to up to a year, depending on what the injury is. Some of the, the more, what we'll call like a chronic injury can be like a rotator cuff degeneration, um, somebody who's worked in an industry or something that's a lot of repetitive use, that just leads to you know wear and tear, arthritis, and then a surgery that then has to help kind of modify that and then get, to, get them back on their feet. And again, that can also be a pretty long rehab process. Right. Like you said, depending on the job that they do. You know, the job they is- do and the demands they're getting back to, right? If you're getting back mm-hmm. to being an accountant, or a financial advisor who the, the hardest part of their day is walking 20 minutes up or a flight of stairs, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, versus being a physical therapist, a firefighter, a police officer, a professional athlete, um, a laborer. I mean, there's, there's jobs out there where people are, you know, all day, every day, lifting, pushing, pulling, running. So depending on what your demands are, that's going to really change the rehab process. Right, Exactly. We're going to take a short break now, and we will be right back to talk more about physical therapy with Nate. Welcome back to Money Sense. I'm Heather Deaton, Wealth Advisor, and my guest today is Nate Hornig, owner and clinic director of Team Rehab Wauwatosa, and we're talking about physical therapy. So Nate, when we think about an, an injury or something that we might feel from the re-injury that you had just talked about, like 
as an example, I know I have what I feel is kind of a weak ankle, right? I've rolled it, you know, sometimes I step wrong and it feels a little, feels a little funny for a day or two. You know, what could, what, what might somebody in that position want to do? Yeah, great question. So let's, uh, I'll talk about two things. One is stability and one's mobility, right? So think of stability more as the strength around your ankle joint. And then mobility is the motion both in the ankle joint, in the soft tissue and ligaments around the ankle joint, and then also in the muscles, tendons, and fascia around the ankle joint. So when somebody comes in and we want to check, we're checking their movement, let's use, like you said, the ankle, for example, think of, you know, if you're a listener, if you've had an ankle sprain, if you've had a fracture in your ankle, if you've worn high heels, if you've sat in a chair, I'm, I'm trying to include everybody here. So yep. <laughs> think of all the things that we do that might limit our ankle motion, right? Our first test, and I want you guys to get up and try this, is going to be find a wall and you're going to kneel with one knee down and your other foot in front, like you're doing a lunge facing the wall. You want your toes to be one fist length or about four inches away from the wall. Mm -hmm. And your goal or quote unquote normal movement should be your heel can stay on the ground and your knee can go forward and tap the wall. That motion is called dorsiflexion. And it's really important for a whole bunch of things that we do throughout the day. So if you test your left side first, then go and test your right side. And you'll either notice it's easy on both sides, it's tight on both sides, um, it's painful on one side. You might notice an asymmetry. And that's the stuff that we start to look at. Because when we talk about ankle motion, ankle motion comes into play with every step that you take. If your ankle can't fully dorsiflex, now as we go to walk, as your ankle or your leg comes behind you, you put more stress on your back because your ankle can't be moving as much as it needs to. So that little simple test is, it's really, really easy, but it opens the eyes of a lot of our patients to, wow, my ankles are really tight. And now let's go down a simple pathway of, okay, there's your mobility deficit. Here's some stuff we can do to manage the soft tissue, the ankle to help get that motion going to then take that stress off the back up the chain. Mm -hmm. So I didn't uh, kneel in front of the wall just now, but yeah, I, I, I didn't I'm, see you do that. I know I'm picturing You're envisioning it. I can see it in your that. eyes though. <laughs> exactly. I'm picturing that and thinking I am fairly certain I would, that would be eye-opening to me for how tight my ankles are. You know, when I do, I do talk with people and, and when they have say an ankle issue on one side, then it does throw everything else off. And suddenly their hip starts to hurt because they're having to, you know, adjust their whole body for that. Yep. Yeah. So I really appreciate that as a, as a great example of, of that mobility and stability. And, and so to kind, of, to kind of keep going with that a little bit, uh, philosophy wise in our clinic, we, we talk a lot about it's reset, reload, reinforce, right? If you're an athlete, you've probably seen a foam roller, you've had a massage, you've done tissue work or had tissue work done on you. Um, I always kind of classify all of those in that big category of reset, right? It's okay. one of those things where you go and get a massage you roll on the foam roll. It's painful while you do it. But then afterwards you stand up, you're like, ah, that feels way better, right? It just, it helps to reset the tissue or the joint. The biggest thing that I would say, and I think a lot of times what we miss, all the patients who come in and say, I've stretched my hamstrings for 25 years and they're still tight. But after they stretch, they feel better. 
So in that little window, there's, there is a window to go and reload and reinforce that tissue to teach the body how to use it in that new range. So essentially what we see is if you, after you stretch that window opens up and the body though, doesn't neurologically understand how to move in that range, right? If you never raised your arm above your head and then I stretched you out, your body wouldn't really know how to raise your arm over your head. So we have mm -hmm. to reload this. We call it the software. It's like the motor pattern in the brain and then help to reinforce with some weights to make that movement pattern more of second nature. So for those of you out there who do some stretching, I would challenge you after you stretch to try to add just a little bit of strength and stability in, in that new range to help you lock in and reinforce some of those movements. So it's like a big four, concept, yeah. um, but it's, it's the power of it is something that, like I said, as PT keeps evolving and moving, the more we kind of work down this road and understand some of how the body works neurologically, we get significantly better results in shorter amounts of time. And that really is, is important for, like you've mentioned, the weekend warriors, the athletes, but, and, and people that need their bodies in different ways for their jobs. But even just having a, a, a rich life, you know, if you want to do hiking on vacation, right, right. <laughs> you know, right there, you want to play you with your take... grandkids, you want to play with exactly. your kids, you want to jump on the trampoline mm -hmm. and not blow out your Achilles. Yeah, it's important. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, that is that whole quality of life that, that, um, that we do need to protect and continue to plan for. Exactly. You know, right. We, we, we do that for the financial planning side, right? We want you to be able to live the life that you want to live in the future. And we mitigate risk with say life insurance or, um, for down the road, long-term care insurance. And like Diane just took us through that disability income insurance. I see that that's an important component to allow you or a, an injured person or an ill person to actually have more flexibility in what they need to the time, right? Because some of yep. this is, it's the work on it, but it's also the time. Right. I always tell people you can't rush biology, right? And that's, <laughs> that's the one thing that we haven't gotten good at, at really maximizing is if you have, if you have an injury, say you tear your rotator cuff, when the doctor goes back in and reattaches that rotator cuff, the tendon to the bone, we have to allow things to heal. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be a, a good six to eight weeks of time in a sling, limited mobility, maybe sleeping in a recliner instead of your bed, um, limiting things like computer work, obviously no overhead work. And that's, I mean, for most people, plus it's also painful. It's painful. Mm -hmm. There's a bit of inflammation that comes along with it. You might be on some pain medication, um, we try to limit all that as much as possible, but those aren't ideal working conditions for anybody. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Um, and what tends to happen is if, if we try to try to work back from those injuries too quickly, it often leads to setbacks where say somebody had a hip surgery and their job as a postal carrier involves a lot of walking, right? Yep. If they get back to work the day they get off of crutches, the tissue tolerance of that hip isn't going to be great. And once things are flared up, it's going to be hard to kind of, to go and calm things back down. So yeah. in your, in your world, that's where, you know, your short-term disability and everything makes a huge difference as far as how, how much time can you give yourself from a financial standpoint to be able to really listen to your body and heal as you need to. Yeah, exactly. And, and even as you were talking about the example of the say rotator cuff, you know, forgetting that it impacts your, your rest. 
right. you know, it is pain. It impacts likely the, um, your independence. If right. You can't drive if you are unable to, you know, in, for certain injuries, unable to walk or unable to walk safely. Maybe say in the winter when you're in a cast from a broken wrist after an ice, after slipping on the ice, <laughs> right. like, I don't know, hypothetically. maybe somebody on this, hypothetically, <laughs> right. Maybe someone on this show has experienced that where then it's, you know, it can be, be very limiting to what you feel comfortable doing while you're healing. Right. Well, and remember, you, you really only get one shot at returning to work. And if you go back to work too soon mm-hmm. and you're working a 40 hour week, if on day two of the week, things are all flared up, you have three more days to go, right? You can't just, most employers don't just allow you to hit pause multiple times and say, I wasn't ready yet. Let me, let me try that again. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So it it leads to some challenging recoveries. Um, And yeah, like I said, we can't rush biology. We have to, we have to respect the body and every single person is going to heal slightly differently. Some heal fast, some heal slow. But yeah, you just have to listen to the body and, and go with what it tells you. Yeah, that, you know, Nate, this has just been great. There's a lot of great takeaways in this conversation. We could talk for hours. <laughs> <laughs> we could. Well, I really appreciate the time today, Nate. And if anyone has questions from what we discussed, is there a, a, a way to get a hold of you? Yeah, email is probably the best. Um, my email is nate.horning, H-O-R-N-U-N-G, at gmail.com or at team-rehab.com. They both come to me. Um, I'm happy to field any questions, comments, concerns, whatever. Um, We're happy to help out if people need therapy. Uh, But yeah, I mean, thank you for having me on. It's been really fun talking. And if there's anything else we can do for you, just let us know. Yeah, thanks so much, Nate. You bet. And thanks thanks to all of our listeners. Um, As you know, Money Sense airs on Saturdays from 2 to 3 p.m. and on Sundays from 12 to 1 p.m. If you like today's show and you want to know more, uh, you can visit www.ellenbecker.com or call us at 262-691-3200. As always, I hope that I have made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. And remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen.